Welcome to Liberation Lab, where we invite the brightest minds in healthcare and technology to share their expertise and thought leadership with our aerial community. This episode, Driving Quality Initiatives Now and Into the Future, is the first part of a two-part conversation and was recorded on Thursday, June 4, 2020. We've invited Julie Barnes, founder and principal of Maverick Health Policy and a healthcare policy expert with years of experience helping the private sector navigate federal government activities that impact the healthcare system. Julie is a strategic advisor to organizations that need guidance about federal health policies and how to develop relationships with policymakers and influential advocacy organizations. In this episode, Julie discusses the evolving CMS quality measurement guidance due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the implications it may have for all of the stakeholders in healthcare. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Driving Quality Initiatives Now and Into the Future. In light of the evolving CMS quality measurement guidance due to the pandemic, we think we're going to, you're going to find the discussion today about how to proactively manage your quality performance very valuable. Especially, I think you'll enjoy our special guests who bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to the topic. First, we have Julie Barnes, who is a national health policy expert, and she will join us to share an update on the COVID-19 impact on quality measures. So without further ado, why don't I hand this over to Julie Barnes, who is the founder and principal of Maverick Health Policy. Julie, would you mind saying a few words about your background as we get started? Thank you so much, um, Rebecca and my MedDecision host for um, bringing me on today. You all can, um, can look me up at maverickhealthpolicy.com uh, for the full bio, but basically the elevator speech of the resume is uh, a Capitol Hill staffer in the 90s when the National Healthcare you know, Security Act was being debated and uh, moved on to health lawyering for about 13 years and then moved on to think tanks and did policy work full-time before moving on to consulting and, uh, and working for Cambia Health Solutions, the Portland, Oregon-based blues um, company. So, um, but I'm, I'm pleased to be here today with you. Let's begin with what almost any health policy webinar um, begins with these days, which is everything was moving along just fine. And then the pandemic hit and everything changed. So here we are, we, we had a, you know, regularly scheduled program proposed rule in February that proposed regular changes to star ratings system. And then we didn't, right? So March and April, we had intervening blanket waivers and ultimately changed the final rule to accommodate the, the challenges that are so great from this public health emergency. So let's take a look at the landscape. It's the star rating system that sets quality measures for MA and Part D plans and helps beneficiaries pick a plan based on quality performance. And then for providers, we have the Medicare quality payment program that changes the way providers are paid to better reward quality and value. And then earlier this year, I said in February, we had these CMS proposed changes to improve upon those programs, but then, you know, the pandemic hit. And by the end of March, we had an entirely new regulatory infrastructure. So you can see that there were multiple blanket waivers. This is up on the CMS website. Um, made to Medicare's regularly scheduled program, including, as you can see, the red circled part, patients over paperwork. That's Eric Hargens, the deputy um, HHS secretary's basically oversight program that allowed 
in this case, hospitals and health plans to delay quality reporting while they were focused on the 19 crisis. On March 22nd, um, CMS sent a notice to providers that they had relief from quality reporting and extended the 2019 MIPS data submission deadline from March 31st to the end of April. So if it's important for you and your organization to know more about that, you should look up at the quality payment program update. There was one on April 29th, and that's at qpp.cms.gov. But also what happened was a couple of things for health plans. One was April 6th, uh, CMS published an interim final rule on Medicare and Medicaid. And uh, that was the policy and regulatory revisions in response to COVID-19. And that's when all of the um, star ratings changes really were explained. CMS eliminated the requirements for the collection of HEDIS and CAPS data that would otherwise have occurred in 2020 for Medicare Advantage plans. And they also postponed to late summer the health outcome survey that that's administered by NCQA. So we're still waiting to hear about subsequent action from CMS about that. But basically, NCQA will not be requiring MA plans to submit their data for accreditation purposes. And NCQA has some pretty helpful FAQs up on their website if you want to go look at that. And then on April 18th, CMS released what they called a flexibilities memo on the COVID-19 marketplace quality initiatives. And what that was, was just an explanation of which activities were suspended related to the health insurance exchange quality rating system, the QHP enrollee experience survey, and the quality improvement strategy. So that flexibilities memo explained that the no data collection or reporting for plan year 2021. So no qualified health plan enrollee survey, no quality improvement strategy, no quality rating system, no HEDIS data collection, no survey measure data or clinical quality measure data that would normally be, be reported to CMS in, in May and June. So that was, you know, a lot of flexibility. And then uh, in 2021, star ratings measures that were going to be calculated based on HEDIS and Medicare CAPS data collections are going to be replaced with earlier values from the previous year. So they'll use the 2020 star ratings data that was submitted back in, in 2019. And then the flexibilities memo also explained that in 2022, things will maybe go back to normal. It, it was pretty mealy mouth language that CMS is just gonna have to uh, explain further because frankly what we don't know is a lot about what's going to be happening when um, with the pandemic and resurgences and just how um, really we're going to not just put our healthcare system back together after this but the economy so understandably it's sort of an asterisk of we think it's going to go back to normal but not really not really knowing and then what happened after those sort of three you know guidances if you will uh, was the more formal rulemaking on, on May 22nd, CMS released the Medicare Advantage and Part D final rule that circles back to the February proposed rule that we originally discussed. And um, that final rule basically cemented a few important things. It, it does give more weight to patient experiences and really sussed out the complaint and access measures in MA and you know talked about the reduction of the influence of outliers 
but really what that final rule said was and you know if you have any questions about anything else look at the interim final rule uh, where we explained how everything's changed because of the pandemic so again sort of regularly scheduled program has a very real real speed bump because of the of the COVID-19 emergency so that's what we have for just sort of the regulatory backdrop obviously we don't want to distract anyone for any reason from you know treating patients and and really just dealing with the situation at hand that is truly terrible and epic uh, emergency and really part of what is true and kind of terrible about how we collect data for quality measures and just quality improvement strategies is we send people around to collect stuff and we ask for things by fax and we hire contractors to go get records and it's it's really just a distracting and and intricate and kind of terrible administration of of quality uh, of how we measure quality so obviously um, you know even if we pretend like normally that's all good it is not um, an okay situation for this for what we're dealing with right now and so what that means is CMS is is sort of issuing a you know breather for right now and will issue for further guidance as soon as as soon as they know how we really should proceed so that really means there may not be quality ratings for 2021 so people won't have the ability to compare plans there's a real challenge for payers and providers but mostly payers frankly about um, how you base payments on value-based you know care when you're not measuring what you said you were going to measure and and really just the services have completely changed on, on top of that we're really going to struggle with sort of the regular scheduled program particularly because right now we have such a different situation with the delivery of medical services so one of the one of the easy things to just sort of say is that an objective you know stat that we usually collect is is mammograms um, we are you know sort of in agreement on who should be doing those and when and uh, right now that's not happening mammograms are not on deck so if you can't do what everybody believes is part of the objective criteria how do you really handle performance expectations during this time and and it's real I mean I I, I don't <laughs> like being on webinars as a national expert and something and say yeah so we don't know um, but we we don't I mean that's really it's really just true. We are in a unique time and a unique situation and everyone is doing the best they can. And we're trying to figure out how to, to grapple with these kinds of questions. But I just, just want to be clear. There isn't something that um, you, you know, that's a secret that you just don't know. Everyone is struggling uh, with how exactly to adapt to our, our current scenario. So what is happening, what it means, but basically um, uh, there's just, a, a genuine renewed conversation about how high quality healthcare should be measured. I'm, I'm very interested to hear what the audience has to say about this because, and, and by the way, if you haven't um, been tracking uh, modern healthcare, they're doing some really great reporting right now. And just yesterday, they published an article that was called COVID-19 should be a catalyst to get quality right. And I was like, oh, that is so helpful because I'm about to give a webinar tomorrow. So. Pacific Business Group and Health and Leapfrog Group and National Equality Forum and, and some of the usual suspects 
are um, all experts that weighed into this article and it's really worth a read if you have a minute. And the fact is, is that it just demonstrates that we are not really in a position to return to the status quo after the public health emergency ends. And I was just really glad that somebody put that into stark relief because it's a conversation that we've been having for a long time that goes something like, these quality measures are not working, but what choice do we have? Everybody is trying to basically give their best um, idea about what to assess, but it's complicated and confusing. And as we know, mostly manual, and it's just kind of terrible. On top of that, we have a pandemic where Congress is throwing money, like it was monopoly money, at everyone, but particularly at health systems to keep them afloat. And isn't it crazy to think that after multiple stimulus funding bills and programs and rules and requirements about what all that entails, that we would go back to basically a financial penalty system? Probably not. I mean, really, maybe bonuses and incentives and those things absolutely stay, but it's hard to imagine how you throw money and taketh away all in the same year. So I think it's something that we just need to see as sort of this backdrop of changing tides. And then Seema Verma um, in a health affairs blog post kind of gave a, a sort of a, don't worry, we still care about value-based care blog post and, and gave a, 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 a nice overview that includes this, this sort of sense that the powers that be, and, and this administration at CMS in particular, really believes in value-based care and really wants to align very much uh, all of that at, as much as possible with a national value-based quality program improvement principle. And there, it was accompanied by a five-page chart that because it came out yesterday, I haven't had a chance to fully review yet, but you know, they're trying. Basically, it was a marker of you know, we haven't forgotten that fee-for-service is something we need to move away from, and we are trying to keep our eye on the prize, but it's just a little hard right now. And I, I think it was just this sort of sense of, it, it was relatively meaningless and that it wasn't a rule, but it was helpful in terms of, you know, this is, this is how we are trying to gauge our situation at the moment. So other than that, um, you know, those are the things that I would sort of point you to but I, I do think that there's also this very serious backdrop of particularly health plans who are lobbying, as they always do, to CMS about what they think is an uncomfortable truth. So AHIP in particular has come out publicly that they're concerned about the, the final rule on quality measurements, um, saying that the consumer assessment survey component, you know, while that might have been a really good idea a year ago is is not uh, a really good idea right now. How can you have that measurement carry greater weight for 2021 when we're in the dynamic we're in? So I'll just leave that out there and not comment on whether or not that's a that's good or, or evil. Um, but mostly I think it's just true that um, there there's <laughs> there is real uh, dissonance and um, and and natural discomfort with trying to measure what we have never done before um, and just a, a new planet on which we're living. And so another one is um, Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina. I think this might have been in the Modern Healthcare um, article or at least some article that wants to ensure um, plans should get proper credit for performance improvement. So, so really, um, carrying forward the 2020 star ratings is making a lot of a lot of plans uncomfortable that North Carolina came out and said it point blank. But you know, there's a lot of 3.5 star plans 
that could have very well been 4.0. And here we are not finding out. And how do you find out? So it's a real, it's a real uncomfortable question because the last thing we all want to do is disincentivize high quality care now. But how do you do it? And you don't want to give credit where credit is not due either. So, you know, basically plans are saying that, you know, we've, we still want to go with value-based care. I think this is what Seema Verma's blog post was about, frankly, is it was sort of this response, like, we hear you, we get it, we're totally for value-based care. We don't want to change reporting, but it's not clear what choice we have. So really, there's discussion about how to make some I don't want to say outlier, but some sort of, you know, bubble that the, the Medicare 3.5 star plans can live in to, to, be, to treat them sort of specially during this weird time so that they have some ability um, to, to rise to a four star level and get that all important value-based bonus payment. Um, it's, not, it's not clear um, if, that's, if that's going to work, but, you know, the status quo is something that no one is looking forward to repeating. And so I, I would... I would encourage you to to be thinking about that in your own organizations and determine how you measure things like the uptick in telehealth services and why that should be a part of a high quality program on both the plan and provider side. Really, there are several things um, that you can be thinking about about quality um, programming. One is you can look at the interim final rule and comment on it. Another one is HHS sort of weirdly quietly issued the National Healthcare Quality Roadmap this is another Eric Hargan item, um, Deputy HHS Secretary, who who issued a roadmap and it's long. There's an infographic because it's so long and it was May 15th. So if you wanna go back and look at that, it really is you know interesting to see what the federal government is thinking last about these quality measures. And that was kind of a year long run up to that roadmap. There's also MedPAC, the all powerful and not really powerful MedPAC that issued a draft recommendation about placing MAQBPs um, with a value-based incentive program. That was a March 5th, 2020 draft recommendation. I actually think because of the weird time we're in, that conversation might be more important than it normally would be. And then of course, check in with NCQA and NQF, the National Quality Forum, um, to see what they've talked about last. I, I think it's really important to continue to track because something is going to turn on these on these issues and it's just good to know what's going on um, with your own organization so that you can backtrack so you can comply with whatever new thing but you also so you can contribute to what is an, an incredibly dynamic conversation so you can have the sort of stats in front of you to say well what we did was dot 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 and what really worked well was dot 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 I always think, you know, the sort of game is on, on what matters. I think you can have an, your own internal discussion about what you think would be a better deal. And if you track, then you're able to prove it. You can provide the evidence for what worked and, and what didn't work so well, but what could work if policy was changed, that sort of thing. So anyway, I will, I will um, thank you for your time and attention and turn it back over at this time, if that works, Rebecca. I want to pull you back to this idea of the risk-based contract. So CMS drives policy for the public programs, but as we know, since so many people are on them, it often impacts the private sector as well. And so I'm, I'm curious to have your thoughts on how this regulation is going to impact the private sector value-based contracting and the other kinds of risk-based contracts that we have going on. I, 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 first of all, do you think it will? And if so, how? Well, I'm a health policy person, so I, I always think it will. And frankly, I think that's just an educated 
statement. I mean, we have seen over and over again that if the federal government does something that, you know, private sector will not not necessarily follow, because generally speaking, the private sector started it. But generally speaking, the public sector blows it up, scales it up, and it, it becomes the truth of, of the, you know, the minimum set of whatever you're talking about, whether it's a, you know, reimbursement rate or or quality measures, um, it, it matters what the big beast Medicare says. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think commercial plans follow suit. And I think it's also just, you know, a sort of business operational truth that making different things and requirements across disparate business lines is a big, big mess. And and really, even for, for dominant state players, it's still not great to have uh, disparate requirements across you know, different products, but for, for nationals or regionals, it's, it's a complete disaster trying to keep those balls in the air. So yeah, I, I think that, that basically, um, you know, for better or for worse, uh, Medicare s- sets the standards. Do you want to venture any guess the impact you're going to see on the value-based contracting? Any thoughts? The impact? I mean, I, I really think this accelerated the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, I, I try with all of my experience not to be a beacon of positivity um, too often, but I do, I do think that this has just been an incredibly unique time that is sort of left us with, wait, primary care is going out of business because of this fee-for-service thing? Why would we continue that then? You know, like there's this sort of back-to-basics conversation that we're having because of the ridiculousness that we're facing right now that leads into all these other more wonky sort of complicated conversations like quality measures. But the fact is, is that, and since the beginning of time when we used to call it, you know, pay for performance instead of quality measures or accountability or whatever the new term of the day is, this has been going on forever where we try to figure out how to incentivize high quality care because we all want it and know that it's better, not just for people's health, but for cost effectiveness. So if everyone's for it, how do you do it? And it's just been a hot mess ever since. I mean, MACRA really did, I think, change the dynamics for good. And it was such a unanimously bipartisan push that it's got, you know, from, again, the girl that's talking from Washington, D.C., it's really about, yeah, but can both political parties still be steeped in this moving forward? And the answer is, uh uh-huh, yeah, because they always really were, and they think this is a big, why wouldn't we be doing this and figuring out a way to incentivize it? So I don't think there's any ever going back. I think, and and if anything, we're going to struggle because we struggle, but we, we will absolutely be, I think, on a fast-moving train to value-based care and try and be drop-in fee-for-service like a hot potato. I really do. Thank you. Yeah, interesting. Do you think that, and this is shifting gears a little bit, but do you think that the pause on the quality measure reporting that we're seeing and that you're speaking about right now was going to have any impact on that proposal that we saw earlier this year around weighting patient satisfaction more heavily going in 2021 and forward? And so do you, do you see this, the, the current climate shifting that initiative any at all? Yeah, I do. And, and not, not in a real happy way. I mean, I think, I think sort of generally speaking, we all, we all want to feel like patients' experience and patient empowerment and all those kinds of, you know, hot terms are, are really the way to go, mostly because we believe that people need to be further involved in their care. And the more they do, the more they take direct responsibility. And, and it's, it's better for everybody in terms of improving the health of the population. And yet, 
you know, this is really tricky in terms of evaluating. Let, let me put it to you this way. Um, we don't want my mom being the bearer of truth about any provider's care. So it's, it's really, it's a really difficult thing to evaluate when everybody has different predilections and, you know, uh -huh. sort of biases. And it's, it's a real struggle to say, this is definitely a fair pro con coming from people who are at various levels of everything, sophistication, you know, truth about their own health. It's just, yeah, I think I think AHIP is on to something when they talk about you cannot ask people right now at this time about how they feel about their health plan or anyone or anything. I mean, it's just a really difficult time. They're not wrong about that. But but then the question becomes, okay, well, what do you do? And how do you move forward? And how do you make it a patient empowerment day in America? I, I don't have any real good questions for that. I appreciate the candid answer. Social determinants of playing into um, value-based care. Yeah. Do you also, so do you see improvements factoring in as well? Yeah. So great question. And I want whoever asked to subscribe to my newsletter because I actually had a whole screed about this. I didn't actually say social determinants of health. Um, some people are already, of course, annoyed with that acronym. You know, whenever you invent anything around here, you know, you start to get flack for it. And then two years later, the name changes. But bottom line is we need to track better our demographic and social construct truths so that we can offer better health care to people where they are and under their own circumstances. And I think you know, we're, we're talking about the pandemic, but I think what is also going on with the, you know, the difficult race conversations in America right now is absolutely dovetailing with this, this question, which is we, we have got to do a better job making sure our, all of our government institutions, but particularly our healthcare, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm in healthcare, but I think it is incredibly basically important, fundamentally important that Americans feel like at least healthcare is an equitable distribution system. And that is clearly not the case. And it is statistically proven that it's not the case in this particularly in this pandemic, um, which is why, I mean, I just felt like I needed to, to write about it in my, my latest newsletter, because what else can you write about right now? It's, it's kind of dominating the conversation, but this is absolute, I mean, this is part of the NCQA's, you know, digital measure conversation too, is how do you, how do you track social determinants of health? Because of course it doesn't fall under the medical moniker of, of the norm. It is these outlier sort of community-based conversations about transportation and housing, et cetera, you know, food deserts and everything else. But we got to figure out a way. I think certain communities and certain plans and certain providers absolutely already have gone down this road and have great lessons to teach us. And I think that's part of why this quality measurement conversation is so genuinely new and rich because that whole lead up was true before. And now we literally have our highest and best researchers giving us really, really difficult to swallow statistics on what is true about the the health inequities in, in our country so that if we're going to redo our quality measures, which we completely should, let's make sure that that's part of the dynamic. So, so yeah, social determinants of health on deck. Thank you. Matt. Well said. I think that was a powerful way to end that section, Julie. And thank you for all your thoughts and for your expertise. Thank you for joining us today for Liberation Lab. 
hosted by Ariel by MedDecision. Visit Liberate.Health and subscribe for regular industry news, views, and events.